You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church Online Experience. My name is Matt Joya. I'm the lead pastor here, and I am so excited that you carved out 25, 30 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside us. We are in the middle of a series titled Wild Unity. We opened up by explaining that the church is like a body and each of us has a specific function and we must be intentional to work alongside, to work with one another in order for us to be able to be healthy. And and last week we talked about those things that destroy unity or divide us. And so we dove into the topic of gossip. And so this week we're going to be talking about um, another potential threat to the church and to relationships as a whole that destroys unity. And if I had to title this um, message, I would call it Click, Click, Boom. A little shout out to POD, a Christian band from probably the late... 90s, but not click, click like on a gun, but click as in C-L-I-Q-U-E. We are all aware of clicks. Maybe the last time you heard that word was in high school. I don't know if you remember. Maybe you were a preppy. Maybe you were a jock. Maybe you were a stoner. Maybe you were a skater. Maybe you were uh, an athlete. But we seem intend to kind of gravitate towards people that have common interests. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that in the realm of relationships and friendships. In fact, C.S. Lewis famously said about friendship, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And so there's something cool that maybe you're a geek and you're into uh, Pokemon, which, you know, you're not a geek if you're into Pokemon, but maybe you kind of nerd out on that kind of stuff. And then you find somebody else and you're like, no way, I thought I was the only one that liked this stuff. And then you, you strike up um, a friendship, a relationship out of a common interest. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's how most relationships end up uh, coming into being. But however, because let's just be honest, starting relationships can be awkward. It can be clumsy. It can be a little bit difficult and kind of left to our own devices, especially if you're introverted, um, you can tend to, you just kind of shy away from entering into a relationship. So when you find somebody that has a common interest, you kind of want to cling to them. And then there's a tendency to not allow anyone else to come into that group because you crave the familiar, you don't want to put yourself out there, and this is where we have to really um, kind of be careful. So well, I want to say it like this. Um, we can get into this mindset um, where our circle of friends becomes a click and we lose interest in meeting new people, um, and we're not particularly welcoming to new people that come into maybe our workplace or come into our church. And there is where it begins um, to get dangerous. And there's actually the starting point where it begins to become a click. So you have a tight group of friends. You're all into Pokemon. You're geeking out, right? And then a new coworker comes in, a new couple of new families come into the church, and you just kind of stay off to the side um, because, and, and not really allow people to enter into that friend zone or that friend group. So what exactly is a click? 
okay? Because we use that word, we throw it around. Let's define it. A clique is a small group of people who spend their time together um, and do not welcome other people into that group. So that's a pretty uh, simple definition. So you can think about maybe you're, you know, you're really into watching Patriots football, right? And you don't really have time for anybody that doesn't have an interest in football. So when the new coworker comes in, when the new church member comes in, you don't really welcome them in. This is extremely dangerous when we come into a church where we're all supposed to be one. Within the church, the presence of cliques can be spiritually devastating for those who struggle in social settings and especially for new believers. So here's someone that's coming to church maybe for the very first time because they're beginning to ask themselves the question, is there more to life than what I am seeing? So to explore that question, they start coming to church. They sit on the back row and there's something in them that wants to come the next Sunday and the next Sunday. Well, as a body, we should be reaching out to them, not in a weird way, but inviting them to coffee, inviting them to a small group, inviting them to the Patriots game or the Pokemon uh, card festival that's in town um, so that they feel like they're welcomed in. James actually warns us of the danger of starting to, you know, categorizing people or separating people. And he says in James 2.1, my brothers and sisters believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. We must not show favoritism. Okay. God hates favoritism. One of my biggest pet peeves, and I don't honestly have a lot, but I hate when this gets thrown around in the church. I've heard pastors use this. I've heard just everybody under the sun use this. I'm God's favorite. Well, God does not have favorites. He loves us all uniquely. Okay. So I hate the word favoritism. And I hate that someone would come into a church and that a pastor would show partiality towards certain people and then neglect others. Or church members would show partiality towards uh, certain members and neglect others. There is The cross is the great equalizer. There is no favoritism in the body of Christ. And Paul is warning us not to show favoritism. Now, favoritism, right, can be due to financial standing, popularity, appearance, lifestyle, political affiliation, or personal history. But believers must be aware of the tendency that we have a tendency, this is why Paul is warning us, towards favoritism and stamp it out whenever we see it inside of ourselves. So in other words, we have to do some introspection. We have to do some self-reflection. Are we showing favoritism? And if we are, we have to uproot those weeds. When we acknowledge our prejudices before God, um, we've taken a step towards overcoming them. This is the problem, right, that nobody has. Nobody ever views themselves as prejudiced. Nobody ever views themselves as having favorites, right? Nobody ever views themselves as being in a click, but yet Paul warns us, and if we have eyes to see, we could easily probably point out in high school, in college, in our in our workspace, in church, there are certain cliques, and this should not be. 
And there's a greater problem. We can't change what we don't acknowledge, right? So in other words, we can't grow. Honesty is the currency of growth. We cannot grow unless we are honest with ourselves and ask ourselves the question, am I showing partiality towards certain groups of individuals and neglecting others? It's a question that each and every single one of us should ask, and not just once. We should constantly be asking ourselves this question. James goes on in, in chapter 2 to continue uh, to flesh out this point of showing favoritism. He gives an illustration. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and then a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. So two different types of people come into the same church. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, uh, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James is taking it to a whole nother level saying, if you think like this, these are evil thoughts. It's evil to look at a rich man and say, I'm going to go ahead and usher you to the front and to look at a poor man and say, I want you to, to sit back here where no one can see you. Again, the problem that nobody struggles with, right? We have to be honest with ourselves. Are we showing partiality towards certain groups of individuals? And he's giving the illustration of rich and poor, but again, it could be political affiliation. It could be uh, there's socioeconomic. It could be so many other things. In fact, Galatians, Paul again is warning us of this, and he, he lists this sin in particular with a bunch of other sins that you wouldn't feel are congruent. The other sins that I'm, he's about to list that I'm going to read you, you would say, oh, those are really, really bad. And then he mentions this one, and it almost feels like, uh, Paul, did you mean to put this in here with all of them? Let's go ahead and read Galatians 5.19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. So the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, super, super bad. Impurity and debauchery, oh yeah, super bad. Idolatry, absolutely. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, super, super, super bad. Dissensions and factions. Remember that word, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before. I've already warned you on this issue, but I'm warning you again. That's how dangerous these things are, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are Paul's words. This is not some obscure translation. Go, it's the NIV. Go read it for yourself. King James, NLT, it doesn't matter. It's going to say the same thing. And factions can be defined, it's the same definition, as cliques. That's how dangerous factions, cliques are in the body of Christ. Orgies. Orgies and drunkenness and factions. Because sometimes we categorize these sins. We look at these sins, oh, those are so bad. They make the front line news of the paper. And then there are other ones where like, 
you know, we kind of tolerate. But again, as we shared last week, what we tolerate, we endorse. And we cannot tolerate, endorse, allow prejudice inside of the body of Christ. Can you imagine if a certain part of my body said, well, we're going to work, but we're not going to work with you? Well, my body, I would be an invalid. I wouldn't be able to function. I wouldn't be able to walk. I wouldn't imagine if my mouth said, I'm going to chew, but my throat said, I'm not going to swallow. Yeah, you can chew, but I'm not going to swallow. Well, I wouldn't be able to get food. I would end up dying. And this is why Paul is warning us. If there are factions clicks inside of the church that are working together, but not willing to work with another group or certain individuals, other parts of the body, then you're not going to be able to function and you're going to break down. You're going to get sick and eventually you're going to end up dying. And that is what Paul is warning us about. I love that he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Like this is obvious. It's obvious Okay, he actually says in Colossians, I want to praise you, but I can't because I've warned you about these factions, about these cliques in your church, and you've done nothing to change them. And for the sake of time, I don't have, I don't have the time to go into that, but you can look it up for yourselves. But here is one scripture continuing on in Colossians. So you can read that for yourself, but he says this. Colossians 3.11, here... There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So Paul is basically, you know, like just addressing all the different types of people that are in the world, all the different groups. And he's saying that there, you know, that we're all one in Christ. Now, most of these categories are self-explanatory. I think we can understand a barbarian. We've all seen Conan the Barbarian, okay? Um, we all understand a Gentile. We all understand what it, who a Jew is, circumcised and uncircumcised. I'm not going to give you any illustrations on that, okay? We know what to, we know what a slave is, and we know what it is to be a free man. But the, the one that stood, stood out to me is Scythian. I had never even seen that before. Like, who are the Scythians? I'm probably mispronouncing that. And as I did a little digging, it's really interesting. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little history lesson, a little... Uh, most Okay, so the Scythians, okay, these guys were bad news, okay? From what I've read and what I kind of studied on, the Scythians were professional killers, okay? So like... Think Spartans and then multiply by 10, okay? Because the Spartans were warriors. These were killers. They were worse than barbarians. Uh, to use a contemporary illustration, they would make Al-Qaeda um, look like Mr. Rogers, okay? They killed tribes of people and they drank their blood. They used their skulls for bowls and peeled off their skin for napkins. Go look it up. It's in the history books. And I should have warned that this is PG-13 like material, but this is real history. These people were beyond barbarians. Okay. And Paul says to them that you are one in Christ, you Jew, you Gentile, you free, you slave, you circumcised, you uncircumcised. You're the, you are one with, in Christ with the Scythians. So go ahead and sit next to them. Invite them to dinner. 
Go get ice cream. Go to their ball games. Go hang out for them. See, it's all fun and games to say we're all one in Christ, that we're unified. Okay, it makes for a great bumper sticker. It makes for a great wall hanging at Hobby Lobby. But when you actually have to live it, it becomes a different thing. When you have to sit down and break bread with a man that was using human skin to wipe the food off of his face, what then? And that's literally what Paul is saying. You see, Paul understood this concept maybe better than anyone. Because by all accounts, Paul himself was a terrorist. He flagrantly and wickedly persecuted Christians. He ripped families apart in, the, in, in, in daylight, imprisoning and even murdering them for the whole world to see. And I'm sure he didn't just act alone. He led many others to this cause as he preached zealously that they must wipe out Christianity from the planet. I actually can't think of someone today that is as evil as Paul was in that day, as brazen and outspoken, we should kill all the Christians. Let's rip them from their families. Can you imagine CNN, Fox News, like zooming in on your neighborhood? And here's this zealot riling up the crowds, ripping the Christians from the homes, from their children, and stoning them in front of all their neighbors and saying, we're coming to a neighborhood near you. In fact, let's read Paul's story so that you know that I'm not taking it out of context. I really felt this is going to be a little bit lengthy, but I just thought it was so important. Okay, Paul, who's responsible for writing the majority of the New Testament, wasn't always Paul. There was a time that he went as Saul. And so I want to read this story to you. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And this is, I'm reading um, Acts 9, 10 through 19. So Saul is killing all of these Christians. He's, he's leading others to this cause. And then he has this Damascus Road experience, okay? Je he see Jesus himself speaks to Paul. And he has this moment where he realizes, wow, I, in my love for God, in my zeal for God, I missed Jesus. I was blinded. And then from that experience and seeing this bright light, he actually physically was blinded. And now his world is turned upside down because he realizes the, the people he's been persecuting and, and the people that he's been murdering are God's people. And so now he's trying to reconcile this. So he can't, he can't hang with the Pharisees anymore, right? But he also knows, like, I was killing Christians just yesterday. So where does he go? And he's blind. Okay, so Saul is at this crux in his life. He doesn't even know what to think. Okay, and that's where we pick up on the story. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, 
And look, God speaks in visions. God's speaking to Ananias in visions. I've heard some people say like God doesn't give us visions. That's just erroneous. This is the New Testament. God speaks in visions, okay? So anyway, Ananias, he said to him, here am I, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias answered, and I want you to think about this. Lord, I, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to, to your saints, to your children in Jerusalem. And here, he, he has the authority of the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. He can imprison anyone that says that they are a follower of Jesus. So Ananias is basically telling the Lord, hey, I, I, I'll go to this guy, but do you know who this guy is? But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias went this way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. So God's doing something inside of Ananias' heart. Ananias who's just having a conversation with God going, um, do you know who this Saul guy is? Okay. But God says, do it. And because Ananias feared the Lord, but he was going to be obedient. He goes to this man's house. And when he finds him, he says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. What a story. <laughs> Here is a man on a Tuesday that is murdering Christians, and on a Wednesday is, is our brother in Christ. God turns foes into friends. The chief of sinners became the chief of apostles, writing the majority of the New Testament and becoming one of the church's loudest voices and advocates. Paul is saying, what Paul was saying in Colossians, Christ is all in all, is that we are all one body. And we may have classifications and certain cliques that are inside of the world because let's just be honest, it operates like that. But the cross is the great leveler, okay? And it doesn't matter if you're rich, you're poor, what your, what your background is. We are all brothers and sisters. This is unity. This is the unity that's worth fighting for. This is the unity that's going to show the world that there is a better way to live. Mother Teresa said this. She said, when asked, she was asked this question, what's the biggest problem in the world today? And Mother Teresa, she had traveled the entire world. She had been with the most impoverished, the most diseased people. 
Um, and she's, she was widely respected, revered, and honored from, from every nation. And so she had a, you know, just an amazing view to be able to answer this question. What's, what's the world's biggest problem, right? And she said this, we draw the circle of our family too small. We need to draw it larger every day. Our unity is a witness to others. See, love, it's not cheap. It comes with a cost. It's cheap to say that we love God when the love doesn't cost us anything more than coming to church on a Sunday morning. But what about loving those whom God surrounds us with? We cannot say that we truly love God and neglect those who he's placed in our lives. See, the church is to be a circle in which everyone is included from all backgrounds, all nationalities, all gender, age, education, rich, poor, the haves, the have-nots, all are welcome into the house of the Lord. And when we repent of our sin and we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are adopted into the family. And we are all now brothers and sisters. And you know what? I've seen cliques even inside of our family. As many of you know, I have six kids, right? That's a lot of kids. And sometimes two or three of them will pair off and they'll try to push the other ones. And I have to sit down with them and tell them that we don't exclude people. Okay, we welcome people in. You need to play with all of your brothers and sisters. They are a gift to you. They are a treasure to you. They have things that you need and you have things that they need. And so we must be the unifier. And I understand for some, like, this is terrifying because when somebody new comes in, you know, you're, you're nervous to say hi. But just think about what they're trying to overcome as they're beginning to take those initial steps towards Christ. And there is a gift of hospitality, of making people feel welcome, of making people feel loved, of making people feel valued and cherished. And I believe that the church should champion this better than anyone. When someone walks in the doors of a church, we must recognize that they have overcome so much. Because I know even in my own personal life, the enemy tries to do so much to prevent me from going to church. Air's low on your tire. Kids are, you know, yelling and screaming. This one's vomiting. I mean, there's a million trillion things that try to prevent me from going to church because the enemy does not want us united. The enemy wants us divided. Why? Just like any predator in the natural, it tries to isolate that elk so that it can be meat on its table. But there is protection in the herd. The predator can do nothing when the herd is together. We must unite. We cannot afford to alienate, to marginalize people. We must have God's eyes to see that they are our brothers and sisters. I just want to, I just want to pray for you that God would, because you can't fake this until you make it. This is something that the Holy Spirit has to put inside of your heart. And the more time you spend in Scripture, the more you get to receive, the more your heart is transformed into the heart of 
Jesus. And then you begin to love people. You begin to want to reach out to people. You want to draw people in to connect them with God because you know what God's done for you and you know what how much God loves and cares for them and they are unaware of that. So it becomes your life's mission to connect them with God. And so I want to pray for you today that God would develop that love inside of your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everybody that's watching, for everybody that's listening. Lord, I pray that they would take an examination of their lives as Paul encourages us to do, that you would expose any weeds or roots of cliquish behavior, of faction behavior, um, and that they would be able to get rid of those and that they would be able to welcome in more friends, that they would invite more to the dinner table, that they would invite more to their prayer group, to their foot, the football game that they're going to watch. Whatever it is, I pray that they would draw their family larger, Lord, and that you would put inside of their hearts your love for them and for others. Let the church lead the way in being one body. And God, I pray that you would be through all our actions and all our words, that you would be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.